Well, this morning I want to continue in our series on the Gospel of Mark. If this is your first Sunday here, I want to let you know we are preaching through the Gospel of Mark. We uh, are on week nine. Um, uh, God began to speak to me at the beginning of this year about preaching through uh, a book of the Bible, especially the Gospels. And I'm ADD. I don't know if any of you pick up on that. Uh, and the whole thought of like preaching through a whole book, a long one, uh, is very stressful for me because um, I, I pretty much change my thoughts every 10 seconds. Um, and so uh, when God began to speak to me about preaching through a gospel, I began to speak to him about uh, my flaws and imperfections and insecurities and inabilities and he reminded me that I'm not in charge. And so the only thing he did allow me to do is to choose which gospel to preach through. And so I picked the shortest one. <laughs> it's only 16 chapters. Of course, we're now on sermon number nine, and we're, not, we're just getting started on chapter two. So <laughs> it's going to be a long series. But what is powerful about preaching through the Gospel of Mark is the fact that each week it is the Word of God that is determining what I'm preaching. It's not a topic. It's not, it's not, uh, it's not a series on a subject. It is preaching through the Word of God and discovering what God is saying and allowing the Holy Spirit to speak through me and allowing the Holy Spirit to guide my words so that we as a body of believers can grow in our walk with him. And so today we are in chapter 2, verses 18 through 22. And as we are beginning this message today, the title of it is Religious Boxes. Uh, the religious leaders of the day in this passage that we are proclaiming today, uh, they have become very uh, frustrated uh, because Jesus didn't minister in the ways that they deemed appropriate. And so the thought that I had from this passage before I read it is... It's the same challenge that we have today. We have to be careful not to try to fit Jesus into our own religious boxes. Because you see, Jesus Christ came to do something new in each of our lives. Do you believe that today? Amen. Do you believe that Jesus has something new and special for this community. Do you believe that? Amen. All right. Do you believe that Jesus can do something through you that he's not going to do through anyone else? Do you believe that? Amen. All right. You see, the problem that I see a lot of times in the church today and in our Christian culture is we want to confine Jesus. We want to confine our walk with Jesus. We want to confine the operations of the church and of ministry into these nice, neat little boxes that we have created. And we want the world to conform to our little boxes. And the reality of it is, is that Jesus Christ cannot be put 
in our boxes. Amen? All right, so let's go ahead and let's read Mark chapter 2, verse 18 through 22. Go ahead and put the first verse up there. So now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and asked him, why do John's disciples and the Pharisees' disciples fast, but your disciples do not fast? Keep going. And Jesus said to them, the wedding guests cannot fast while the groom is with them, can they? As long as they have the groom with them, they cannot fast. Keep going. But the time will come when the groom will be taken away from them, and then they will fast on that day. No one who sews a patch on unshrunk cloth and on an old garment otherwise uh, and uh, cloth and an old garment. Otherwise, the new patch pulls away from the old cloth and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine into an old wineskin. Otherwise, the wineskin will burst the skins and the wine is lost as well as the skins. No new wine is put no, new wine is, I'm having a hard time reading today. New wine is put into fresh wineskins. I'm all paranoid about that, that uh, L thing, you know. And, all right. So there's three things I want to talk to you about today, just for a few moments, all right. Three things that I think that are important to come out of these passages of Scripture that we need to grab a hold of. The first thing I want to talk to you is I want to talk to you about religious peer pressure, all right. Again, verse 18, I want to read that one more time. It says, Now John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And people came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? You see, what I want you to understand here is, first of all, the Pharisees that are being talked about in this passage of Scriptures, they fasted as they miserably waited for God. And the sinners feasted as they joyfully met God. All right? You see, what was happening here in this passage of Scripture, Jesus was not concerned about meeting the religious expectations of the traditional legalist. What he was interested in doing is he was interested in proclaiming the glory of the Lord, which is what we ought to be most interested in. Am I correct? Amen? You see, religious peer pressure attempts to shame us into a conformity with the system rather than a relationship with Jesus Christ. And so what I want to talk about just for a couple minutes today is I want to talk about the conformity versus the relationship. You see, I talk a lot about discipleship, don't I? Yes. Go ahead and say it. One of the things that I think we struggle the most with in discipleship today is the fact that we have a false understanding of what being a disciple of Jesus Christ is. And the reason we have a false understanding of that is because we've created a box. And we think that if you fit into that nice, neat box, then you are a follower of Jesus Christ. The problem is, is the box that we have created is not in Scripture. All right? Now, don't get me wrong. The things that we talk about to form that box, the things that we talk about to shape that box, I'm not saying those things are wrong in any way, shape, or form. Okay? 
Some of the things that we have created the box out of is that, first of all, if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you need to come down to this altar sometime, and you need to pray a sinner's prayer, and you need to receive salvation, okay? There's absolutely nothing wrong with that, is there? Amen? Okay? The problem is, is that oftentimes we stop right there. We think as long as you come down to this altar, you pray the sinner's prayer, you ask for forgiveness, you get up and you get a ticket. All right? You get a ticket. Well, this is a bottle of something. I don't have any tickets in here. Okay? We must have got rid of all of our tickets, man. What happened to our salvation tickets, folks? Don't we have them up here? I mean, you got to have the ticket, isn't it? It's like getting on a train. Isn't there any ticket? Oh, wait a second. No, it's not a ticket. Okay? You don't get a ticket that you get to just kind of hang on to. And then when Jesus comes by, comes back someday, he's going to go, hey, you got your ticket? And we get to go, I got my ticket. That's one of the shapes of the box that we've used to form. Another, another way that we shape this box is we say, okay, you get your ticket, all right? The next thing that you need to do, if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, if you're going to be a follower of, Christian, of Jesus Christ, you need to come to church on a regular basis, all right? Now, back when I first started into the church at the wee age of zero, I was born on a Friday. My dad was a pastor. I was in church on Sunday. Most people believe that if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you should be in church every Sunday, right? Every time the church doors were open, you need to be in church. As a matter of fact, when I was a kid growing up, we had church on Sunday morning. We had church on Sunday night. We had church on Wednesday night. Every once in a while, we'd have a revival, and those things could last for two weeks, man. I'm serious. I don't know how many hours I've spent sleeping on the pews while some guy was preaching that I didn't even know. I'm not knocking that, okay? I do believe that you should be a part of the body of Christ. I do believe that you should come to church on a regular basis. Scripture says, do not forsake the gathering together, okay? In other words, Scripture says that it's important for us to come to church and be amongst believers. But what we've done is we've shaped a box out of things like you got your ticket, you come to church. You know what another wall of that box looks like? Not only should you uh, uh, have your ticket to go to heaven someday, but you should also come to church on a regular basis. And then another side of that box is you should tithe regularly, okay? And that is the tenth. I'm going to tell you what Scripture says. I'm going to teach you on this real quick. And I believe this Scripture. I'm not knocking this in any way, shape, or form. Scripture says that you should give a tenth of everything you earn. Listen, anybody that wants to argue that's an Old Testament thing, you need to go back and look at what Jesus said a few times. Okay, Jesus said, don't forsake that. But he said, that's not where you should end. That's the beginning, okay? But on the flip side of that, just because you put a tithe in the offering, that does not make you a disciple of Jesus Christ. All right? Now, the fourth wall, the fourth side that we oftentimes put in the box is you need to, number one, you got to get saved and get your ticket. Okay? Number two, you need to come to church on a regular basis. Church in North America right now has decreased in its average regular attendance I think the last check that I saw was like by 40%. That doesn't mean less people are coming to church. Let me just fill you in on this real quick. What it means 
There are still as many people going to church as they've always gone to church. The difference is instead of them going to church four weeks out of the month, guess how much the average person goes to church today? One to two. All right? They still come to church. There are people. I'm going to tell a story real quick. So I'm like, I'm down at a, I don't know if I told this story before, but, you know, I'm ADD. I tell it again. Uh, I, was down, I was down at an event down at the, uh, in the square uh, it's been probably four or five months ago, and I ran into this family that uh, they knew me. I did not know them, okay? I mean, they knew me. Hey, Pastor Steve, he's our pastor. We know him. He's our pastor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did not. We go to his church. I have never seen these folks before. But apparently, our church, Lifebrook Church, is their church. And it's their church well enough to know me. Now I'm looking around right now and I still don't see them, so just in case. <laughs> but the point is, is that the average American today goes to church only once or twice a month, okay? Now I know you guys are more than average, you're above average, all right? But see, the point that I'm trying to get at this is that this, this pharisaical structure, this religious structure, this religious box that's been created in our culture today and in the church today is that if I, if I make a commitment to Jesus Christ by going down and praying the sinner's prayer, if I attend church on a regular basis, whether I think that's one to two times a month or, I mean, or every single uh, week of the month, okay, and I, and I give something regularly in the box when they pass it around, other plate or whatever it is we pass around here and I find some way to serve maybe I'm an usher and I'm a greeter or maybe I work in the kids church once in a while or maybe I serve some coffee in the back or maybe you know whatever else you do you know I I, I build things here that that makes you a disciple of Jesus Christ and I got to tell you something folks that is a flawed system of the religious culture of our day. Those four things, though I believe all four of those things are important in your walk as a follower of Jesus Christ, those four things are not what make you a follower of Jesus Christ or a disciple of Jesus Christ. Those are only part of the box. The other part of the box looks like this. How do you on a regular basis see God's goodness in your life? How do you on a regular basis understand what God is doing for you and how God is working in your life and how do you recognize that and how do you testify to that? Do you understand clearly that when the the God that we serve, the God that created all, when the God that I love, that we love, that we talk about this in Scripture, when that God reaches down and touches you and takes what all of the doctors and all of the world has said is broken and makes it whole, do you understand that and recognize that? Do you realize that? You see, that's part of being a disciple of Jesus Christ. 
You see, a disciple of Jesus Christ not only recognizes God's goodness, but another part of this picture, another part of this box, is that a disciple of Jesus Christ spends time with God. All right? Just because you come to church on Sunday, just because you serve, just because you drop something in the box, and just because, just because you prayed a prayer at one point, my question to you is do you have a relationship with Jesus Christ? Because a disciple of Jesus Christ doesn't come and hang out with Jesus just once or twice a month for a couple hours while some crazy guy talks up on stage. A disciple of Jesus Christ spends time regularly with God. Another part of the component of being a disciple of Jesus Christ is that you actually love others the way Christ first loved us. You see, if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, you actually have to learn how, and and that comes from spending time with Christ, you actually have to learn how to love people the way Christ loved people. I'm going to tell you right now, anytime you see someone, or you hear someone who proclaims to be a follower of Jesus Christ that doesn't love, you need to question what Jesus they're following. Because the Jesus I follow, the Jesus that I read of in Scripture, the Jesus that I know is Lord and Savior, the Son of the living God, the love that He shows transcends all of our imperfections. If He loved us for only for how good we were, we're in a lot of trouble, aren't we? He loved us in spite, beyond our failures beyond our imperfections he loves us so much that he went to a cross and died on our behalf and we're going to be celebrating that here in a couple weeks you see that is the component you see i you know what i'm i I want you to make a commitment to christ i want you to pray the prayer i want you to come to church Okay, I definitely want you to put something in the offering plate because it makes it possible for us to do the things that we're able to do. I don't know if you know this, but churches don't get to do everything for free. Did you know that? I don't know if... Uh, did, they, they don't give us utilities for free. I, I know, it's crazy, isn't it? They ought to, shouldn't they? We should get everything for... They don't. All right? I want you to do that, okay? I want you to find something to do here at LifeBrook. I want you to find a way to serve. And let me just tell you, you can serve in so many different ways. I mean, anything from from being a greeter to, man, I got a group of guys that come in here during the week and build all kinds of stuff. Man, any kind of crazy thing I ask them to build, they're like, yeah, I think we can do that. They're building a cake out there right now. We're building a cake. There's a cake out, you have to look at it later. Anyway, I want you to do that. But what I want to hear more than anything, what I want to see in your life is I want to see you recognizing God's goodness in your life. I want to see you spending time with Jesus. I want to see you loving others well. I want you to love people like Jesus. The fourth thing that I want to see you doing is I want to see you listening. I want to be a person who listens to hear what God is saying. 
and then I respond to that. You see, religious peer pressure attempts to shame us into conformity with a system rather than a relationship with our Lord and Savior. And what I want you guys to grab a hold of today and what Jesus is trying to point out to us in this very first passage of Scripture in this section is that we're to have a relationship with him. You know, the Pharisees, they fasted miserably waiting for God. They fasted out of ritual. And Jesus is saying to us here, he's saying, listen, I want you to have a relationship with me more than anything else. Yes, I want you to do the things that I have commanded you to do. But more than that, I want you and I to walk together. I want you and I to be in relationship. Now that leads to the second part of this passage of Scripture, and let's actually talk about this fasting for a second. And so I've titled this section, Fasting 101, okay? In verse 19 and 20 it says, And Jesus said to them, Can the wedding guests fast while the bridegroom is with them? As long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. The day will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. All right? You see, what I want you guys to understand about fasting, first of all, is fasting is prioritizing the feasting on God over the feasting on food. You see, fasting, and, and it's good for me to talk about this tonight. We're going to be having our, our prayer service here from 5 to 6, and we kick off a 24-hour fast, and where we're just asking you just to go from 5 o'clock this evening and fast from 5 to, to 5 o'clock tomorrow evening, and what we want you to do is just spend some time reflecting on what God is doing, reflecting on what God is doing here at Lifebrook Church and how you can be a part of that and ask how the Lord wants to guide you. It's just a time of really reflecting on the Lord and doing what he's called us to do. But in this fasting 101, I want you to understand fasting is not about not eating, all right? Fasting is not about not, you know, I've heard people say, I'm gonna go on a fast because I need to lose weight. No, that's a call to diet, okay? Fasting really has nothing to do with what you're eating and what you're not eating. Yes, the traditional fast is where you don't eat for a certain period of time. But what's important about fasting is what you're replacing the time that you're spending eating with. It's not about not eating food. It's about focusing on the Heavenly Father. It's about being sensitive to the moving of the Holy Spirit. It's about spending time in the Word of God, listening to what He's saying to you so that you can do what He has called you to do. You see, believers fast in their longing and they feast in their belonging. Did you catch that real quick? Believers, excuse me, fast in their longing. In other words, as we are fasting, we are seeking, we are longing to know what is it, God, that you want to do in my life? What is it that you want me to do for you? Lord, where in my life do you want me to have a deeper walk with you? Lord, what is it in my life that you want me to put you in place of. 
You see, what we see in this passage of Scripture also is Jesus says the day will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. You know what Jesus is, what's, what he's foreshadowing here, don't you? What's he foreshadowing? Huh? His death. Yes. His sorrowful death. And also, not only is he foreshadowing his death, but he is also sharing the reality of his promised joyful return. You see, as we fast, it's not just about us. It's about him. That's the reason why oftentimes in Scripture it says when you fast, pretend like you're not fasting, you know? Don't, don't walk around with this woe is me, you know, oh, I haven't eaten in two days. Well, I walk around like that after I haven't eaten one meal. Oh, you know? It says when you fast, don't, don't go around saying woe is me. I don't know, must have been back in the day when they would fast. They'd also stop shaving too. Because it says, you know, when you're fasting, clean yourself up, shave, look better, okay? I mean, you know, must be, it must have been back then when they fasted, they'd like stop shaving and then they walk around and when you saw somebody who hadn't shaved, you're like, oh, they must be fasting. Now today, when somebody doesn't shave, you just know they don't have a razor. It's my problem. It's about, it's about seeking God's glory. Fasting 101, when we ask you guys to come and join with us and fast here at Life for Church, it, it's, not, it's, not, it's not about us, it's about him being glorified. It's about us discovering what it is that he is doing so that we can be a part of it. That's the most important isn't it? I want to be a part of what the Father is doing. You see, Jesus is sharing with them, listen, I want you to be close to me. I want your relationship to be strong with me. Now that leads me to the last passage of Scripture here today that I want to, I want to share with you just for a minute or two. And the, this last point that I want to make is that Jesus doesn't fit in our religious box. He just doesn't. Verse 21 and 22, it says, No one sews a piece of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. If he does, the patch tears away from it. The new from the old and a worse tear is made. And no one puts new wine skin into new wine into old wineskins. If he does, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is destroyed, and so are the skins. But new wine is for fresh wineskins. You see, what I want you to understand first is it is impossible to stitch Jesus into a tattered religious garment. The gospel cannot fit into an old religious system without completely bursting it wide open. If you, and this is where I want to go with today as we wrap it up here, if you are trying to fit Jesus into your tidy little religious box, you have acquired the wrong box.
Your walk with Christ is not your husband's walk or your wife's walk. Your walk with Christ is not the walk of those around you. Your walk with Jesus Christ is exactly that. It is your walk. And what that means is that you have to find the time to spend in silence with him, in Sabbath with him, in relationship with him, so that you can hear what he is speaking to you. You see, the world wants us, the Christian world wants us to get caught up in what I would call unscriptural rituals. In other words, what I'm talking about is rituals that are man-made instead of biblical-made. And I don't want to go into details on all these things, but listen, what I'm telling you is this, point blank. Okay, number one, just coming into this building does not make one a follower of Jesus Christ. All right? Dropping something into the offering plate does not make one a follower of Jesus Christ. Finding a way to serve here at Lifebrook Church does not make you a follower of Jesus Christ. What makes you a follower of Jesus Christ, what makes you a disciple, is your relationship with Christ. And that relationship plays out in how you see his goodness, how you respond to what he is saying to you, how you spend time with him, and how, and this is probably one of the most important parts, how you love the people that he has placed in your life. When Jesus said in Matthew 28, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them all that I have commanded you, all that I have commanded you is him telling you, listen, I told you the two greatest commandments are for you to love me and you to love others. And if you can't do those two things, and the way that you love me is to spend time with me and to listen to me and to understand how much I love you and to be obedient and to be sensitive to what I'm speaking to you. And the way that you love others is by loving them the way I have loved you. That is all that I have commanded you. And part of the way that we love others is by sharing the gospel of Jesus Christ with those that he has placed in our lives. You see, the man-made rules, those things, at the end of the day, Matthew chapter 7, when there comes the point when we stand before the Father, and in Matthew chapter 7, he says that there will be who, those who stand before the Father, and they will say, but I did this, and I did this, and I did this in your name, and he will say, I never knew you. That's the most scary passage of Scripture in the whole Bible for me. Because these people are standing before the Lord, and they think that what they have done 
in the name of the Lord is enough to get them into heaven. And he says, I never knew you. So if they are missing the mark there, how are they missing the mark? In my, in my mind, as I study the rest of what Jesus says, the best thing that I can come up, the best understanding I can come up is they were doing a bunch of stuff in the name of the Lord, but they weren't loving people like Jesus loved them. And folks, that, that is the culture that we live in. You see, the church culture wants us just to do a certain few things. But what Jesus is calling us to do is love others the way he has loved us. How are we doing loving the way Christ has loved us? I'm going to call the band to come up and we're going to close here in a second. But the other part of the thing, part of this that I want us to grab a hold of, if you're trying to fit Jesus into a tiny religious box, you have required the wrong box. The other thing is what I would call systematic work, and that is work for the sake of work, okay? Folks, let me tell you something. No matter how much work we do, we never will do enough work to get ourselves into heaven. It is by God's love and grace that we are received. It's not, it's not about how many things we do or how many, how many, how many jobs that we have or how many, how many different ways that we try to work. Those things will not earn you a seat in heaven. Okay? And the reason why, the reason why they don't is because if you're doing those things to get into heaven, you're doing them for the wrong reason. You see, a follower of Jesus Christ works not to get into heaven. They work because they have received the wonderful gift of salvation through Jesus Christ and it drives them, it compels them to want to serve their king. You see, the religious structure of the day says that if you do enough and if you, if you give enough and if you be enough as far as, you know, you be at this and you be at that and you be at this, then, you know, then you're okay. And I'm gonna tell you right now, that's not scripture. That's not what the Bible teaches us. Now, don't get me wrong. You don't get to just sit around and wait for heaven, man. It ain't going to happen, okay? You know, it's amazing to me. I was listening to a guy today, this week also, and he said, we, we've got the afterlife down, okay? You know, we, we, are, we are so excited about the afterlife, you know? Someday I get to go to heaven. It's life that we're missing, yeah, you know what? If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ, you, you get to look forward to the afterlife. You get to look forward to eternity, okay? But what are you doing in the meantime? What about life? You know, when we talk about the Great Commission in Matthew 28, and I'm not exactly sure why they actually called it the Great Commission, it's not actually in the Bible. Somebody put a heading in there. I don't know if you know that. It's not like Jesus said, and right here we'll put the Great Commission. Okay, no. Somebody who translated the scripture into English, they decided they were going to put headings on, you know, and they put Great Commission. I don't know why we call it the Great Commission. It's the only commission. Okay, it is the commission. Go and make disciples, folks. 
however God has created you, whatever gifting God has given you, whatever shapes and formation that he has placed in your life, he has done that because he wants to use you to the, expand the kingdom of God in that. And the only shape of the box that you should ever be paying any attention to is the box that has been shaped by Jesus Christ. Amen? And so my challenge to you today and as you go into this week is what areas of your life have you been trying to place Jesus into your box? And what are you going to do about getting rid of your boxes so that you can use his box? Spend some time this week asking the Lord how you can be a part of what he's doing. Amen? Amen? Let's all stand. As we come into this time of closing, I want to remind you that there are communion uh, set up, tables set up on both sides here. There's also communion in the back if you would like to take communion. I will challenge you and encourage you that Scripture teaches us that we are never to take communion uh, unqualified. And that means that if you have a struggle with your brother, if there's something going on in your life that is not where it ought to be, before you ever take communion, you should straighten that out with the Lord. I would challenge you to take that seriously. I would also like to let you know that the altars are always open. We'd love to pray with you if you have a need, if there's something you're struggling with, or if you just kind of want to come down and hang out with the Lord, you can do that. If you don't want anybody to pray with you, you just go, I'm fine, get away. And, and we won't, we will. But if you want somebody to pray with you, we would love to come and pray with you, all right? Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for this beautiful day, and I ask that you would just... Uh, continue to speak to our hearts as we go into this time of worship. Lord, I pray that whatever uh, mistakes that I have made today in this message, that your Holy Spirit would make it clear to each one of us, Lord. And I just pray that more than anything, that you would be lifted up and glorified. I pray this in your most precious name. And everybody says, Amen. Amen.